On today's show, the most impactful deals from the NBA trade deadline. Gordon Hayward headed to the already very good OKC Thunder. The Dallas Mavericks adding P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford to the mix. And maybe the winners of the NBA trade deadline, the New York Knicks acquiring Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. How do each of these players help their newly found respective teams? We're going to unpack that and so much more on today's Locked on NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On NBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash Locked On NBA to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making Locked on NBA part of your day and being an everydayer every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Thunder, Rylan Styles. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Thunder. And Rylan, the Thunder with one of the bigger acquisitions, maybe the biggest acquisition at this year's NBA trade deadline. Gordon Hayward headed to Oklahoma City and OKC sending... Not a ton back to the Charlotte Hornets, Davis Patrons, Trey Mann, Vasily Micic, and a couple second rounders, which is not a ton of value for a, a high impact guy like Gordon Hayward, just another Sam Presti masterclass. Yeah, I think that the the value for going and getting Hayward on the trade market is that it was seemingly likely that the Hornets were going to buy him out anyway. And so if you're Oklahoma City, you're able to jump the line in that case and you can secure the fact that he'll be in Oklahoma City and not have to test the buyout waters. And then for, for the Hornets, the value of this trade would be, you know, Trey Mann has an ability to pop as a score, former first round pick and a guy who can fill it up. Dallas Bertans is just, you know, a, a salary cap matcher, but Vasily Micic, a two-time year league MVP and champion also went to Charlotte in that trade. And he had, he had a career night in his debut for Charlotte. So you're taking the chance on guys who have more uh, longevity on their contract in Charlotte, uh, uh, man has another year. Mitrich has two more years on his deal, and uh, Hayward's an expiring deal. So you're going to exchange kind of a, a low ceiling guy for a couple high ceiling guys who also have a very, very, very low floor. But those two guys can pop in Charlotte. For Oklahoma City, you were never going to play Trey Man. That was very obvious. And Trey Man could be a really good score for Charlotte, but he was never going to get into the Thunder rotation. Uh, Mitrich had a lot of question marks of if he can ever play in playoff NBA basketball, especially year one. I think it's going to take him some time to adjust to the NBA. So this trade for the Thunder standpoint was nothing. You also gave up uh, second round picks, two of your 20 second round picks uh, that you have in your collection. So it was not a big deal there either. So the value of Gordon Hayward is going to be the fact that he can create buckets for himself off the bench and then play finish as well offensively. A lot of people have been concerned about the Thunder's rebuilding ability. However, a, a bigger issue for them has been their scoring lulls. That's what's doomed them a lot more than rebounds because the sheer raw rebounding numbers, they are going to live with getting outboarded. They're still going to be out-rebounded no matter what they do because of their play style of wanting to go fast and wanting to play smaller. So uh, to live with that, though, you've got to avoid these scoring droughts. Gordon Hayward helps you do that. It's an investment worth making. So at this point, I, I know we're not going to see uh, Gordon Hayward or uh, Bismarck Biambo suit up until post-All-Star break for the Thunder, but at this point, do you... Do you envision Hayward as as 
a key kind of missing bench piece for the Thunder? Or do you think there's a world where he maybe steps into, at some point, the starting lineup? Yeah, I think that Gordon Hayward will be on the bench for the length of this season. I, I don't think that he'll step into the starting lineup. I don't think that it'd be wise for the Thunder nor him for him to be in the starting lineup. The beautiful thing about the Thunder is they have the depth required to take uh, time off of Gordon Hayward and the rest of the regular season, play him enough to get him accustomed to the style of play and his teammates, but manage his workload to where you can have a healthy Gordon Hayward in the postseason, which is where he's really going to make an impact as long as he can get there because, uh, you know, he is a better you know closer for this team in the postseason than some of their guys that they play right now. For example, you know, if you're getting into a spot where you need offense and you need to make a comeback late in a game, would you rather have Gordon Hayward's scoring ability out there or Josh Giddy? There's going to be games where you'd rather have Gordon Hayward. There's going to be games where you'd rather have, uh, you know, other players as well. But Gordon Hayward at least gives you another option to throw into the playoff rotation. And as we mentioned at the top, you know, the, the risk of trading for Gordon Hayward is nothing. It's 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 guys who might pop in Charlotte, like like Trayman and Micic, but we're never going to pop in Oklahoma City and two second round picks out of your twenty tradable second round picks, which are easy to recoup as well. So this is a no risk move that can really pay dividends. I would imagine that Gordon Hayward, once he is fully integrated into this team, will be a key bench player for Oklahoma City. And how I, one of the other areas that I really thought was was interesting about this is I think it just helps just from almost an intangibles perspective for this OKC team being as young as they are. They've had a ton of success They're They're easily one of the best teams in the NBA this season, but they are still a really young team. Uh, I forget which uh, Thunder player made the joke, uh, but they 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 have a new kind of old head in the locker room right now. Now, now Gordon Hayward is, is the new uncle on the Thunder roster. Jada has talked a lot about that, of, of there being a new old head around, because it used to be Kenneth Williams, who's not even 30 yet, and Gordon Hayward, of course, much older than that. Uh, but what was interesting about Mark Dignall talking about Gordon Hayward was that he made it a very key point of Gordon Hayward's not here to be a chaperone. He's not here to, to have this age wisdom. He's here to win basketball games. And so they view him as a, as a basketball player first experience second, but it's impossible to ignore the experience that he brings, even though he only has 29 career playoff games. Just think about the teams he was around and how he watched those teams react to certain scenarios, both good and bad. He watched the Celtics do what the Thunder are trying to do. They, they got led by you know twenty year, you know twenty one year old, twenty four year old Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown and these young guys go and be and go on anomaly playoff runs. It's so young in the bubble to the Eastern Conference Finals. They saw how they reacted to integrating new pieces whenever they uh, traded for Kyrie, and they he saw everything kind of unfold with that roster, which is in a similar, you know, not apples to apples, but a similar scenario with Oklahoma City, who was led by two second-year players uh, and, for, and for Chet Holmgren, his first year playing on the court, and, you know, a 25-year-old SGA. So uh, I, th I think that whenever you look at Gordon Hayward's experience, it's impossible not to get excited about that, but he's also going to make an impact on the floor. Now, I, I know you you mentioned this earlier, touched on it briefly, the, the size concerns a little bit for this OKC Thunder team, their roster. Not a ton of size outside of Chet Holmgren. So you go, you make the, the buyout acquisition of signing Bismack Biyombo. Uh, how, how, how large of a role, I guess, do you expect him to play for this Thunder team? And are there any other potential buyout targets that you could see the Thunder maybe trying to pursue uh, as those candidates kind of sort themselves out and become you know clear waivers, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I think with Bismack Biombo, you're looking at a player who uh, is not, I don't think, going to be a fixture of the rotation. But the beautiful thing that he provides is he's 6'8 with a 7'5 wingspan. And he's 265 pounds. So he has the ability to 
fit more into your style than say an Andre Drummond would. He can run the floor and transition better than Drummond. He can do uh, more things in this versatile style of, of, of offense and defense uh, than what more traditional bigs who people wanted the Thunder to go get can do. Uh, but by the same token, uh, he cannot space the floor. Of course, Jalen Williams out of Arkansas is better at that than he is. However, the beautiful thing about, B- about Bismarck Biombo is that he allows you to just have the option because you don't want to head into a postseason series where there's no curveball. There's nothing you can do to get out of a jam uh, in the eighth inning, so to say. There's no reliever to come in and fix uh, a size issue in a certain game or certain matchups or certain lineups. So now you've brought in a guy who's going to be immediately the best rebounder on the roster and immediately going to be the guy who can absorb contact better than anyone else uh, and really contest guys like Jokic in the post if you need it you know, to happen in that way. So uh, I think that from that aspect of it, you'd much rather have the option than not. You'd much rather be able to do something uh, to counteract your opponent than just have to throw your hands up and play uh, in an entrenched style. As far as the rest of the buyout market, they'd have to make another roster move. The roster is full right now at all 18 guys because they've converted Lindy Waters to a standard deal and they've uh, signed Adam Flagler to a two-way deal along with Bismarck Miambo. However, you know they could cut Poku and, and, and free up a roster spot. So I wouldn't say it's a 0% chance, but I think that the roster is pretty solidified with what they're going to do uh, moving forward with this team, and we'll see how far they can get. If Sam Presti cuts Poku, will we have a riot over it locked on Thunder? Uh, we will not. It will have a, <laughs> might be a celebration, honestly. But uh, no, Poku uh, has not played like a single minute, it feels like, for this Thunder team this year and been a non-factor entering restricted free agency and We'll see if anything happens from the summer period. How will Gordon Hayward help elevate this already very good Thunder team? Will they be active any further in the buyout market? You'll have us covered for all of that and so much more over at Locked on Thunder. Rylan, thanks for stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up, the Dallas Mavericks adding PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford to the mix. But... Grant Williams on the way out after being the Mavericks marquee free agency acquisition. Why was it time to move on from Grant Williams? What do PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford bring to the table? How do they complement Luka Doncic? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster, and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates to choose from. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Look, LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, some exciting news is Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Now you can also find it on Amazon Fire TV. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. Find the Locked On Sports Today channel now on Amazon Fire TV. 
Joining us now is the host of Locked On Mavericks, Nick Angstad. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Mavericks. Nick, one of the few teams making a couple moves at this NBA trade deadline. P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford in. Grant Williams, Seth Curry out. Now let's... All right, all right, let's start right there. Why didn't Grant Williams work out in Dallas? Because on paper, yeah. Grant Williams seems like he would have been the exact kind of player you want right next to a Luka Doncic. If you've ever heard the phrase, your mouth is writing a check that your game can't cash. <laughs> that is the Grant Williams story because you're right. It should have worked. I was excited for it. I was excited for Grant Williams, but he went from being a ninth, 10th man for the Celtics to being a fourth, fifth man for the Mavericks. That's a big step up. Now, the Celtics have more talent, so you'd think that, all right, well, if he's that far down the pecking order for the Celtics, then he comes over to the Mavericks, it should work just him being the player that he is. He just didn't, it just didn't work for him. He shot the ball well early on in, in the season, and then it just kind of went away from him. I think the confidence went away from him a little bit when the shot went away. He started, he's shooting like 60% from three the first month of the season, and we asked him about it, and he said, it's not good enough. I want to shoot 100%. And I feel like since that statement, he was shooting like 28% from three. He just went downhill what for him. And then jinx, man. <laughs> he just jinxed himself completely. And defense, defensively, the Mavericks have issues, and they needed somebody to just be real solid in that role and to like kind of hold their own. And he had to he had to take a step forward, even from the defense that he showed with the Celtics. He'd have he's not gonna have the same kind of team concept where you're surrounded by literally four other like good to like solid to good to great defenders. And so that's a big task too. So he wasn't up to it and he said that he was the map said that he was i said that he was we all were, were betting and hoping for him to take that step forward it just didn't happen for him now seth curry also a part of that deal having a bit of a down season so a couple players really struggling in mavericks uniforms you flip them for pj washington what does pj washington bring to this mavericks team pj washington is only an inch taller than grant williams so we've seen a lot like all the mavs added size he's only an inch taller but his wingspan is a is seven two same as daniel gafford (laughs) like they both have seven two wingspan he's bringing that to the table and he's bringing the ability to uh like (laughs) luca threw him a lob in the first game i'll just say that whereas grant williams you just can't throw him a lob he couldn't finish around the rim he would get to the rim and like have to do some kind of floater like he just couldn't like from a standing position dunk on the rim that verticality matters a lot like finishing around the rim and it matters a lot because of the other things we saw pj washington do in that mavs first game he's going to get a bunch of wide open threes he's also going to get some semi-contested threes that he can then attack the closeout and go to the basket and he's either going to have to be able to finish or make the right pass out of it and he did that a couple times in that first game where he attacked the closeout finished with a floater and i just went oh my god is this allowed are role players allowed to attack closeouts and finish with floaters and like like do all it's it was just amazing to, to watch and that's something that grant williams and reggie bullock and dorian finney smith and like go go back through josh richardson like go through all the past three and d quote unquote wings that the mavericks have had they just struggle in that area but luca and Kyrie get so much attention that that driving lane is there for you if you can get there 
And so that's something I think he's definitely going to bring to the table that I think is a big step forward. You know, but so you look at this and you're turning, you know, a couple role players who had been underperforming in Grant Williams and Seth Curry into hopefully PJ Washington, a role player who can maybe fit that, you know, that lane a little bit better, right? Be a bit more of a complimentary piece to, to Luca and Kyrie. But to have to give up that 2027 first round draft pick, you, you already gave up the 2029 Mavs first in the Kyrie deal. Now you're giving up the 20. Is, is that a bit of a steep price to pay for maybe not even an upper in role player in PJ Washington? Hey, you know what? You got to spend money to make money, Jackson. You, you, you've got to, you like I, all this pearl clutching of like, Oh, the firsts, the first that the Mavericks did. Okay. Well, first, <laughs> great, great Sam Presti impersonation impersonation. Continue. <laughs> got a first from Sam Presti, <laughs> Sam Presti's first that the Mavericks got for a pick swap to get Daniel Gafford that we'll talk about. Uh, but like, the Maverick, you had to spend to get better. It's like, okay, what's the alternative? All right, you hold on to your precious firsts and you don't get better on Luca. He gets frustrated, then he leaves, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy anyway, where then he just decides, all right, we just don't have enough. You've got to keep taking steps forward when you have a player like this. We don't talk about the first round picks or draft picks this like with a LeBron team or with like a, you know the Warriors or like you know another team why would why wouldn't we do that with a Luka and Kyrie team we're like all right we got to keep going forward because this is your shot you've got the two stars together that you know can make sense that can do a lot of things that have done both have done incredible things in the playoffs let's get them there and see what they can do with like a, a roster that makes sense around them and this roster is starting to make sense well so and that's that's a good spot that i want to pick up on because right mavericks are sitting at eighth place in the western conference right now 30 and 23 do these where do these moves how do these moves move the needle i should say for the mavericks right do is should there be a lot of confidence now that you've plugged up a couple of the holes and the Mavs can really make a push now post all-star break to hopefully slot into one of those upper, you know, upper tier seeded seeds in the Western conference, rather than fighting for a play in spot. The Mavs biggest issue this season has been health. It just has, you can say it's Jason Kidd, You can say it's the level of talent, all that Luca Kyrie and Derek lively have played 18 games together. Those are like before these trades, I think were your top three players on the roster. <laughs> like, if that happened to any other team, they would be in a real bad spot. Zach Lowe had a stat recently on his show that there are only three teams in the NBA that have not had a single five-man unit hit 100 minutes yet. It's the Mavericks, the Hornets, and the Grizzlies. Those, those are the teams. Then, like the Grizzlies, those teams is not like the others. No, they have a winning record and they're in a no in a position. So health is definitely a huge thing. So what these injuries do is they, or what these trades do is they come in and they stabilize some of that kind of stuff. Missing Derek Lively because he's out for an ankle or he's out for a broken nose that he got popped in the face. All the Mavs centers get popped in the face, by the way. Gafford now stabilizes that where all of a sudden he comes in and you're not like really struggling for center minutes and trying out the maxi Dwight Powell combo that they've been trotting out there for like, I don't know, since before you and I started on this network, like it just is, it's just been a long time that they've been throwing those guys out. So they stabilize. And then when the Mavericks can get healthy, hopefully that's, that's the hope is that then they add to the depth and they add to the versatility of what this team can be. Last question for you here, Nick. Of all the previous guards in Mavericks history, who's been traded and then brought back more times, Devin Harris or Seth Curry? Seth Curry has been has signed with the Mavericks three times. So has so has Devin Harris. Devin Harris has signed three times too. <laughs> um, 
Curry has been traded twice now, not three times. So he hasn't been, he, like, I've seen that a lot. Oh, they traded him three times. No, one time he signed with the Blazers. So that's one. Uh, Devin Harris was traded for Jason Kidd. That was one trade. And as I vamp here, trying to go to his basketball <laughs> reference, bay, trying to figure out if he was keep vamping, keep vamping. He was traded again in 2018, part of the weird, like Doug McDermott trade that the Mavericks got. They bring in Doug McDermott. He shot like 50% from three the last half of the season. That was a trade deadline deal. Um, but yeah, so so they both are tied oh, now. They're in a signed dead tie. Wow. Signed both they both signed three times. They've both been traded by the Mavericks twice. Oh, man. Well, what do these deals ultimately mean for the Mavericks? How will P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford be able to help kind of add some depth to this team? And will they be able to make a stronger push post All-Star break? And who's going to ultimately come back to claim the title of the most traded guard in Mavericks history <laughs> somewhere down the line? You'll have us covered for all of that and so much more over at Locked On Mavericks. Nick, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Devin Harris could still be traded as a broadcaster. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, quite possibly the winners of the NBA trade deadline. The New York Knicks acquiring Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. How do Bogdanovich and Burks help this Knicks team? How do they complement Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle? Plus, what needs to happen for the Knicks to make a push for the number two seed in the Eastern Conference? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the very next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the very next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class exclusive Google built-in is your always updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of having to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen right there at your fingertips. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. But hey, maybe you want a little bit more size. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has room for up to eight passengers, an expansive cargo capacity, and advanced available 4x4 capability with 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds towing capacity. When adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. Take the Nissan Rogue or the Nissan Pathfinder and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week for all the NBA breakdowns, news, and analysis right here at Locked On NBA from our rotating panel of incredible hosts, including Matt Moore and David Ramil on Tuesdays, John Corrales and Jake Madison on Wednesdays, Nick Angstad and Path the Designer on Thursdays, and Adam Mares and Wes Goldberg on Fridays. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf. You can track down wherever you listen. Well, my turn now. Sweet. Fun. All right. Third time's the charm, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Knicks. Alex, the possible NBA trade deadline winners, the New York Knicks, with their acquisition of Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. We're going to unpack what those pickups mean for this Knicks team. But let's take a look very quickly at the outgoing pieces for the Knicks to make this trade happen. So centered around... Uh, Quentin Grimes, who I think is a guy who's arguably had a lot of success when given the opportunity in New York, as well as uh, Evan Fournier, Malachi Flynn, and uh, Ryan Archie. I, oh my, I always struggle with his last name. You're Archie Diacono. Archie Diacono. There we go. I always like <laughs> it. I read it and then it, it stumbles me up because I never know like the phonetics right off the rip. All right. Archie Diacono. Thank you so much for that. 
<laughs> so four players out, two players in. Let's start with Quentin Grimes, though, because he's a guy that I thought had a lot of success in New York when given the opportunity. So why was it time to move on from him, even though he's a young player with a potentially exciting future? So like the one sentence way that I thought of describing it on our show recently when I was thinking about it was I think a lot of Knicks fans thought that this year he was going to be a lot more actualized in terms of who he was going to be as an NBA player. And unfortunately, he sort of regressed further backwards towards being theoretical, which is something that you it, it's kind of how you view you know, young players, right? Especially when they're on their rookie deals, when it's found money, you know, like every player that's on a rookie deal is found money in the NBA if they're playing well because they're getting paid less than what they're going to get paid once those three or four years is up and you have to pay them, you know, like their big boy salary, you know, like the their actual worth in the NBA. And so at the end of last year, you know, obviously in the playoffs, he had the, the huge iconic moment where he like tweaked his knee or whatever and then still like got right back up Deed up Jimmy Butler, stole the ball from him, uh, forced the game six in that series against the Heat. I mean, that's going to live on in my brain forever. It's going to live on in all Knicks fans' brains forever, I feel like. Uh, and yet this year he came in, the shooting was way less consistent, which was something that you really needed out of him. He wound up then ceding his starting job to Dante DiVincenzo, and DiVincenzo was kind of doing exactly what you wanted out of Grimes. I mean, not quite the one-on-one -on -one man defender that Grimes can be at his best, but certainly a great team defender in DiVincenzo. And then he's just been absolutely shooting the lights out this year. So it kind of just reached this point where it was like, you know, Grimes was coming in, he was getting 13, 15, something like that minutes per game. And then he's, he's talking to the media earlier this year and is saying like, Oh, you know, I feel like I have such a short leash. The ball feels like it weighs a hundred pounds. Every shot feels super consequential. And it just started adding up where it was like, yeah, I think this team is just more ready, especially after a 14 and two January where they're looking at themselves saying, man, like if a couple things break, right. Could this team potentially make a run in the playoffs this year? Like ECF, maybe like, finals if things go like super super well like with how well this roster is constructed if you get good playoff performances out of everybody and I think the Knicks just kind of looked at that and said well Grimes isn't happy here if we can sub Grimes in for the reported two first round picks that the Pistons had wanted for Bogdanovich just last year plus you know Burks who's a solid player as well then I think it's worth it and you know I I kind of agree I think that they they used Grimes instead of those first round picks and you know, they have plenty of first round picks coming up that they can use in other trades or use to restock the sort of farm system, so to speak. So I didn't I didn't have a huge problem with moving on from him, even if it was it was a little painful, given, you know, where we thought things might be going with Grimes going into this year. Sometimes you got to make those, you know, those those consequential kind of win now related moves where, yeah, Grimes might, you know, in the future, you might look back and be like, yeah, Grimes turned out to be a, a better, more impactful player than maybe a Boyan Bogdanovich or an Alec Burks down the line. But for what this Knicks team needs right now, those are your win now pieces. So let's let's talk about those two guys. What do those two guys bring to this Knicks team? I mean, really, it's shooting to the bench unit um, and some stability and depth. I mean, the Knicks just really, they're ravaged by injury right now. I mean, they have three. It was with Grimes uh, prior to the trade being out, it was they were out four rotation players. Uh, really, I mean, if you count Jericho Sims as like a emergency rotation player, he's been out for the last few games as well, which has been consequential since the Knicks now top three centers, at least like true centers, have been out for the last like number of games here. Uh, with Isaiah Hartenstein re-aggravating his Achilles injury, Mitchell Robinson still out. And then obviously the two biggest guys that you have out are Julius Randle and OG Ananobi right now, who 
should be on roughly equal time frames, you know, about three weeks from now. Hopefully both of them will be coming back. You're helped out by the, the trade deadline and all that. But to get back to the Burks and Bogdanovich part of it, I mean, I think the Knicks were just like, we need some help now and we need some depth for later because in the playoffs, you know, you want to have a large roster of guys you can call from for shooting if you need it. I mean, when you, want- when you say depth now, you know, help now, but also depth later, you don't get the sense that this was a trade that they made as kind of like a, a Band-Aid fix. Like, hey, we're really yep. banged up now. We need like you would have liked to see them make this trade, even if everybody was healthy, right? For sure, yeah, okay. because what happened in that Ananobi trade is that they they lost a lot of creation in that second unit by dealing Emmanuel quickly. Like, that was the biggest consequence. And obviously, the starting lineup with the Knicks when fully healthy now is, like, nonsensically good. Like, they've been the best lineup in the NBA this year uh, is the Knicks starting lineup with Ananobi in there with Brunson, DiVincenzo, Randall, and Hartenstein. But their bench used to be their biggest strength. Like last year, you would say the Knicks have maybe the strongest bench in the NBA. And then after the trade, it was like the bench would come in. You'd be like, okay, we're just kind of keeping things treading <laughs> until tread the, water, right? Until the starters yeah, can get back. The in, starters yeah. get back in, you know, it was, it was a little more painful. So they needed that creation. That's what Burks will give you. I mean, he's not a point guard necessarily. Like if he were on the table, a guy like Malcolm Brogdon was maybe like the top of our list, you know, like in terms of like, this guy can really like run a second unit. Uh, Burks will just give you some some shot making and stuff like that. Bogdanovich, though, was the a huge surprise because I don't think that most Knicks fans would have thought that you could have acquired both those guys without giving up at least a first round pick or two, like some of those protected ones the Knicks have or something. The fact they were able to get him without touching any of those first round picks was a huge win, both for now and later, because now I think the Knicks have a guy that once he gets comfortable can hopefully slot in for Randall. Uh, maybe we'll see that after the All-Star break. He came off the bench in his first game probably just to get acclimated with his teammates or whatever. But if we hit after the All-Star break, I would hope to see him out there starting in place of Randall. But then once Randall comes back, he's going to be the guy that will probably get like 25 to 30 minutes a game and is a consistent 20-point-per-game scorer in the NBA. I mean, he's, to my eye, got to be maybe the best bench scorer in the NBA now. Like, if he's going to consistently be playing a bench role once this team is healthy. And so... I think that was a huge win for the Knicks, like because that was what they needed. They needed just more punch off the bench to make that unit stronger again. And uh, they accomplished that goal in spades, I think, with the trade. And he's a guy that you can very clearly right, stagger and, and let him get some minutes playing alongside, sure. you know, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, when, when healthy, all that. Um, and a guy that's a perfect complement to guys who are going to draw as much attention as those two guys do. Now, look, right now, Knicks are sitting fourth seed, pretty Pretty comfortably fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, 33 and 20, a game back of the third seeded Bucks, a few games back of the two seeded Cavaliers. Slim chance that they would be able to catch the Celtics. I don't think the Celtics are really going anywhere. They got that number one seed feels all sewn up. But what needs to happen for to for the, the Knicks to catch one or both of those teams in the standings post All-Star break, right? To go on a run and potentially finish as the as the two seed in the East. I think it's pretty simple. It's just they got to be healthy. I mean, that's it. Um, you know, it's it, there's a lot up in the air with the health of this team right now. So the injuries, as they say in right now, if I just give them a quick rundown for anyone that's not familiar, Julius Randle dislocated shoulder uh, in his non-shooting shoulder, so it's his right shoulder. Uh, they said nothing's torn, or at least that's the implication. Uh, they said they're going to wait two to three weeks, and it happened, I guess, about a week and a half ago now. So two to three weeks was the timetable to to look at that again and see the course of action and if if rehab was going to work i my 
indication maybe there's a partial tear or something, which I know from having dealt with a shoulder thing and myself in the past can just heal. Um, your body is capable of healing a partial tear, but not a full tear. And so I think they're hoping that things just get better and with some rest and whatever. So his health will be huge. Uh, OG Ananobi, obviously, too, was such a huge part of them having that huge January. It was literally all thanks to him. Uh, gets a bone spur removed from his elbow, which they say is going to be a three-week recovery, but seems pretty cut and dry. There is precedent for it. Uh, Gavin looked it up the other day, my co-host, and uh, Joe Johnson had a similar procedure a number of years ago, and it only kept him out three weeks, and it was very clean. He came right back in, started playing again. So hopefully that's the case for him. Uh, Mitchell Robinson had an issue with his foot uh, back in December, which he got operated, or his ankle, I should say, back in December, which he got operated on. They said eight to 10 weeks. We're now it right smack dab in the middle of that time frame for reevaluation. So hopefully we'll hear something about him coming out of the all-star break, I would think. And then Isaiah Hartenstein has been dealing with uh, Achilles tendonitis, uh, which is just an overuse thing, but obviously one that with something as important as your Achilles, that if they continue overusing could potentially stress the, the tendon to the point of something catastrophic, like an Achilles tear happening. So he just kind of needs to be managed for the rest of the year. Uh, and kept an eye on. So if all those guys come back healthy, this team has the potential to make whatever run they want to make. And, you know, I'm with you. I I think it would be a a stretch to try to catch the Celtics for the number one seed, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that this team could end up a top two seed in the Eastern Conference this year if they're able to get healthy in quick order after the All-Star break and can put together as good of play as they did prior to this rash of injuries that's hit them. So... We'll see how it goes, but that's really it for me because the the play is there. The the identity is there. They are going to like beat the crap out of you on defense. They have so much three-point shooting talent now, and they have two superstars that are playing the best ball of their career in Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, as long as Randle comes back healthy. like They're in really, 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 really good shape uh, going towards the stretch run this year as long as they get healthy. Huge Huge, 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 huge caveat. The the play is there. The identity is there. That is a bar. I like that. I love the confidence. How will Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks help this Knicks team going forward? Can they get healthy and maybe make a push for the two seed in the Eastern Conference? You're going to have us covered for all of that and so much more over at Locked On Knicks. Alex, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Of course. Always happy to be here. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA Monday. The biggest stories with the local experts.